morning, everybody. Thank you all for being here. Please take a seat as I prepare to share with you what I thought would be a simple and enjoyable message, and it has turned out to be the kind of week that pastors write books on. Uh, I should know better than to ever say or ask openly, has anyone ever heard a message on crowns, and do you think this would be a fun message to teach? and then expect that the Lord wouldn't have something to say in return. Matter of fact, the week was so random that Thursday at the police department, I found my officer in the jail writing a very large report for an arrest that he was making, and I had about an hour to sit and wait, and I thought, now would be a good time to decompress in the uh, officer's lounge area and just ask God, what am I doing? Where am I going? What have I actually done this week? And as I went to sit down, I break out my phone, which I have prayer requests and some other things to think about during the week. I I broke out my phone, and the first thing I did was accidentally dial someone. (laughs) That should be a sign, right, that you're not in the right frame of mind. Not only did I dial someone, then I quickly responded, sorry, accidental, God bless. The individual then quickly responded back, I need to talk to you, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to think. I did I'm, I, nothing. I'm at the police station or whatever. Can you please call me right away? Oh, okay. Hello, this is Pastor Jeff. I'm sorry that I called you. It was totally accidental. Okay, that's fine, Pastor Jeff. But I was just sitting at home today, and I have been trying for this award with the Lions Club for three years. It is the most prestigious award that the Lions give out. And for three years, I have pushed myself and pushed myself and pushed myself to win this award. And each year, I've been in the final two. And I just found out again, I did not receive the award again. And I am really, really frustrated right now with the Lord. Why is the Lord not willing to reward me for something that I desire and I'm working for so diligently? And why is this so important to me? What is wrong? And I said, do you have any idea what the message that I'm working on for this week that I just sat down to ask the Lord in prayer? Should I do this message or not? And she said, no, I have no clue. Thank you for not watching online, by the way, and having no clue. Rewards. And I was like, wow, Lord, you just answered it with a random, accidental phone call verbatim. I wish I could tell you guys that was the end of the story, but for the next 45 minutes, that individual then sent another text back and said, my friend is in dire need. Her son is up against the wall, spiritually speaking, in total oppression, and she's willing to talk to anyone, and she's desperately in need of help. Remember, this is a random phone call. This is random. This is me sitting down needing a break. I have no idea what's going on in my brain. It's already Thursday. The message is the next 45 minutes I jumped into a family's life that was in total crisis. And I have been with that family since Thursday every single night. And I will be with them again tonight. And that family is actually present in the building today. And I can tell you guys something that when you ask God to move and then stand down and say, I have no clue what's happening. You've never been in a better place. Because it's not about you understanding or knowing what God has. Oh, this message is so simple. It's, it's almost so topical, it feels unfair. And yet, I have not been able to complete the message. I've tried ten times to complete the message. Ten times. And I've not been able to get through the message at all. I have no idea how the back half is even going to... Honestly, as I stand before you, I've never felt more like in God... Uh, someone prayed for me and said, abandon. Brad prayed for me and said, Lord... Help Pastor Jeff as he abandoned himself to you. That has never been more clear. And I just wanted it to be a simple Thanksgiving service. I wanted it to be 
fun and exciting and all these different things. And we're going to have testimonies at the end. I'm going to share miracles with you at the end. Guys, there's been salvation nonstop this week. It has been a truly blessed weekend. But I got to be honest with you. Last week when I said, you guys all know about rewards and only two people raised their hand. It's time for us to find out that God not only has a plan and a purpose for us, but he has things that are best for us to aspire after. And they're not of this earth. They're not the highest accolades that the earth would give. They're of heaven. And I just pray this morning that you would be able to just relax like I'm trying to do and enjoy that. Because the reality is uh, I'm a little scrambled and I had to fall back to my English writing, my English writing time, the, the five W's. Who's talking? What's happening? Where is it happening? When's it happening? And why is it happening, right? And what's really important for me to share with you is I know it's easier to forget than remember, but you've probably never heard any of the principles I'm going to share with you today, but the crowns are for you. The crowns are for people who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, because when you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you not only got the greatest gift that the world has ever received, but you now have the opportunity to labor for things that are worthwhile. Remember, James's entire book has been about faith and works, right? And some people have been really confused by works. But James is saying the kind of works that he's talking about are these kind of works that earn these kind of rewards. The crowns are for us. And what, what happened? When did we find out about the words? In Revelation. You remember the beautiful Revelation study when we lit the powder keg for this church and watched God explode a million different things into pieces. Back in Revelations 22, Jesus actually came and gave us the information that he's coming with his rewards for his people. But we didn't get the whole message. We kind of missed it. We, we, we heard about crowns, but we never really jumped into it. I feel like it's like when you go and you drive by road signs every single day. You, you know the road signs are there. You just don't realize what they're actually telling you. And I pray today that you would realize what they actually mean. Additionally, the word Bema Seat. How many of you ever heard of the Bema Seat of Christ? Have you ever really wondered what the Bema Seat of Christ is and how does judgment for believers ever take place? Well, here I was working on the message and all of a sudden the Bema Seat of Christ comes right into play. Because it's going to explain to you today how believers are actually going to stand before the throne of God. Not under condemnation, but accountability for what? For the salvation that you've received in Christ. So it's a very powerful message with a lot of different twists and turns. And all I can tell you is as I pray right now, please pray with me that God would give you something from this message. A source of encouragement so we can get to the, the very end of it where we're going to give like eight praises two miracles, and then we're going to have an amazing baptism. Uh, a person from the church that you guys all know and love, Big John, is actually going to be baptized at the end of the service. The tank is already open, and it's just going to be a really exciting day. So, so join me in prayer as I attempt to unravel what has been a truly amazing week. Father God, first and foremost, I just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And the gift that salvation is, the fact that so many of us have received salvation, the fact that so many of us rest easy in salvation, I pray today, Father, that we would realize that to much is given, much is expected. And today is an opportunity to actually hear what's actually expected or where our best interest would be, where we could actually put our energies toward for the best of the kingdom of God. And that's what we are. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of another world. And we have to realize that. And I pray that for every person here, every person listening online, 
that if they didn't know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that Jesus gave his life to pay a ransom for their life, that today would be the day that not only do they receive salvation, but then they would hear the rest of this message and realize that not only do you have hope and joy and peace and forgiveness in stored in, a, in Christ, but you have a purpose for our lives and things that we can then labor for. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity to do our best for you today. May everything that's said and done in this building bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's what I want you to consider. Two different opportunities this morning. If you're a believer and you're hearing this message, I want you to consider yourself in God's army. If you're in God's army today, you're all going to be de um, designated archers, okay? As archers for God, I believe that this message will actually be then giving you the commands that you should follow. What are the targets as an archer of God that you should be aiming for? Once again, we hear the word uh, aim and mark in the Bible quite a bit. What is it that we're actually aspiring to accomplish? The five crowns give us actually destination points for our efforts to be kind of focused towards. And if you're here today and you didn't know that Jesus died for you, like I said, then my simple point to you is before I even talk about the crowns, which is kind of an exclusive message for believers, let me just take one minute and tell you something. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the truth, and Jesus Christ is the life. There is no other way outside of Jesus Christ. The reason why the cross is empty is because he's no longer there. We do not need to remember him still there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he knows everything about us. He knew us in our mother's womb and he knit us together. And today I want you to know something that he died willingly. No one could take his life. He died willingly to pay a price for your life. And in that he ransomed you from sin. So you do not have to be a slave to sin any longer. And you can be, as the word of God says, a new creation in Christ if you would just give your life fully to Christ, receive his forgiveness, and then begin to walk. And you'll hear that even in John's testimony. Start with Christ in salvation, and then walk with him all the days of your life. And as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So to clarify, anything I mentioned about crowns is not salvation. Salvation cannot be earned. Salvation is the free gift of God. But in receiving that free gift, because of the intense value of the gift of salvation it's simply an opportunity for believers to hear and understand something more about the salvation that you have received and once again i mentioned it was in revelation 22:12, the first time you got the idea that jesus had something more for believers than just to receive salvation something there's a, there's more than just receiving salvation in salvation it opens up the opportunity for you to labor for the things eternal so let me read revelations 22 and then we'll try to start tearing this apart Look, I am coming again soon, and my reward is with me, and then I will give it to each person according to what they have done. That's verse 12, verse 13. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to Alpha and Omega, I've heard lots of messages in church, right? We've all kind of heard that. That's an easy concept. We have Alpha to our right, and we have omega to our left. So the concept of alpha and omega is a much easier concept to teach. And so I think that's part of the reason why so many people have taught it. But the first part of that sentence was giving us the actual significance is that Jesus is coming with a reward for us. And we've kind of undermined and kind of by not teaching that we've kind of helped believers stay misdirected so that the world's accolades, the things of the world end up being a goal or a desire of our heart. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it should be. I'm going to share with you the way that it should be. The crowns are kind of like wedding presents. Now, I know some of you get excited when it comes to your wedding. We have one coming up. But the reason why you get married is not for the wedding presents, right? 
the wedding, some of you are like, well, you should have seen mine. Well, the wedding presents, the wedding presents are a benefit of the union, right? The goal is the union, to stand before someone and profess them and say, this is the person that I love, for better or for worse, in sickness or health, until death do I part. To have that kind of thing, that's the goal. Salvation is the goal. Salvation is the prize. Everything after the prize are just simply rewards for being in that union. And John, as we talked about with baptism, baptism is not salvation, right? Baptism is symbolic. It's symbolic in nature, but it's important. So when when I was reading this passage, I was reading like, okay, so if it's so important, why don't people understand it? What is the goal of the devil to keep us, you know, conflicted about this? Because the Bema Seat of Christ, because you've heard the word Bema Seat of Christ before in the Bible, and and you're worried about Christians going to be under judgment. What what is it going to be like? The Bible says that we're going to stand in front of this, but how can we be judged if Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ, right? Like I said, it's supposed to be a simple message, but there's a little theology inside of this as well. Because the theology of it's this, you are not being judged for salvation, it's the, it's the believers, the Bema Seat is for believers, so believer is already denoted. To stand in front of the Bema Seat means Christ is already your advocate. This is not salvation. You are saved. You are standing in front of God in accountability for the life that you were given in salvation and what you did with the opportunity to do good works, right? The opportunity to do good works, yeah, you've heard that in the Bible. You were designed and built to do good works. What are these good works? It's to labor after these higher things, so the Bema Seat is going to take place at a later time. It's going to take place after believers have passed, and then we will stand in front of Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says it verbatim. We, will, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema Seat, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things that they have done while in the body, whether good or bad. Right? So that's a 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you're looking for that verse. We must appear. I found some cross-references, too, from Romans 14.10, and you guys probably all know this verse. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. Right? We hear that part. But the next verse says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We were going to have to give us an account of God, right? He is the landowner. He is, he is the person that owns the land, and we are the servants working on the vineyard. And when the landowner comes back, we're going to have to give an account of what we've done on that vineyard for the day, right? And a day, a week, a month, uh, 80 years, whatever it is, our life. I found a really good passage that talks about builders. It makes it a little bit more clear. This is 1 Corinthians 3. Let me keep trying to roll through this as quickly as possible. By the grace of God that he's given to me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else built upon it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay the foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ has laid a foundation for us in salvation. Upon salvation, once you have salvation, you have the opportunity to now build this home, build this uh, structure. So 12 says this, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is in the day, and it will be brought to light. And then it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If it has been built and it survives, then the builder will receive a reward. What's the reward? A crown. But if it is burned up, then the builder will suffer the loss. Now, I'm not going to go into the other opportunity for judgment here, but there's going to be another judgment too. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. That will be at the end of the millennial. That's a whole other message. And trust me, you don't want to be there and you don't want to be a part of that one because that's going to be a different result for people. You want to be at the Bema Seat. You want to be at the Bema Seat because you're being there as a believer 
And what you need to do is how to run the race. You need to know what it is that you're actually looking to do. As someone who's been a coach his whole life and really frustrated things, let me just say this. Do not run aimless. Do not run aimless. I might be scattered. I might be up against a lot of different things today, but I want to tell you something. Don't just go through life aimless. You need to have a target. Maybe you're archers. You need to have something that you're focused at. Focus on the mark. Figure out what God is calling you to do and focus on that. The world that we live in now says if you show up and you participate, you will be awarded. The Bible does not teach that. Let me say that again for you to teach your grandchildren and a generation that has been indoctrinated this. Show up, do your best, and you will be rewarded. Right? Paul says this, I do everything I can to run the race. I do everything I can to win the race. I will condition my body. I will, I will throw everything and anything I have at it to win the race. And that is the attitude that we need to run at because it's not about a participation award. So that brings me to the first crown. Now, I mentioned that Paul uh, is the one that's going to be writing about this. Paul actually writes about three of the five crowns. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. The first crown that I want to share with you is called the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown is in direct comparison to the corruptible crown, which is what everyone would aspire to in the Roman games or the Olympic games. If you aspired to a crown that was just a simple wreath, that crown would then die or deteriorate over a period of time. But Paul's saying you need to run for such, in such a way that you run for the incorruptible crown, which will not. It is a reward for people who are believers. So all of you who are professing Jesus, this is a crown that you are aspiring to and you will receive. Here we go. First Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game does, goes into strict training, and they do not get a crown. They do not get a crown that will not last, but we do get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, right, summarizing everything before, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. In other words, he's not just punching in the air and wasting his blows. No, the first blow I strike, I strike to my body and I make it a slave so that I've preached to others that I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I have a couple of quick notes on that. Run, don't walk, okay? This is a race. You didn't know it this morning. I can tell you this morning. From Thursday on, trust me, I felt like I was in a race. And I feel beat up. I feel battered. And I feel haggard as I'm coming towards the finish line. Because spiritually speaking, we're all in a battle. We are all in a race. And to be in a race, we have to condition ourselves to run. Part of the encouragement that I was using for a young man this week was the opportunity to tell him, do one push-up and you'll find something out about your body. Just how difficult it is to lift your own body weight. But something happens after doing one push-up. The next day when you go to do one push-up, your body has responded to the first push-up. And it now has the ability to probably do one and a half or two push-ups. And every day that you come back to that position and every day you set yourself back up to do a a third push-up and a fourth push-up, your body begins to learn. And spiritually speaking, that same thing is true. In order for you to run and understand what you're doing, you have to condition yourself. You have to fight in such a way that you realize that there's an adversary that wants you to be off the mark. Remember, you only got to be one degree off of your mark, and you're not going to arrive at the prize that God would have you. Run with purpose. Run with focus. When you wake up in the morning, realize that just waking up in the morning, just to make it to church this morning, you had to have purpose. You had to have focus. You had to have something that made you want to get out of bed and take away the opportunity to have a day of rest and relaxation. Matter of fact, if COVID really did one thing to the church besides sabotaging the volunteer ministry that the church once had, is it's given everybody an extra day. 
I can't tell you how many people tell me, Pastor Jeff, I just don't know how to get back. It's like we have an extra day. And a lot of people are trying to go to church on Saturday and figure out different things. I don't, that's up to you. You figure out your own rhythm. But the Bible makes it really clear not to forsake this. You've got to run in such a way that you're conditioning yourself. That means purpose. You've got to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, tomorrow I don't even know if I'm going to be here. But I'm here today. I'm waking up right now. What is my purpose for today? What would you have me aim at? What would be the benefit to the kingdom of God with the works and the labor that I can provide today to make this more worthwhile? He says, don't get disqualified. Stay in your lane. Part of understanding the five crowns is simply saying there will be plenty of awards out there. There will be plenty of accolades out there that call you into joining in for them because you can receive all kinds of accolades from the, the, earth, you know, the world. The, the Lions Club is a fabulous organization, and I'm really grateful that there's wonderful organizations out there. But if I have my choice of receiving the Lions Club's highest reward or having the opportunity to walk someone into salvation, I would take salvation day in and day out, Right? Because there are higher callings in our life, and we have to realize that those are what our time and energy are worth. But don't be overwhelmed. Remember last week we talked about how the disciples were an example of people that you can model your life after? Don't be overwhelmed. Plenty of people who have followed Christ have had really difficult lives. Matter of fact, not only difficult lives, but lives that involved a lot of uh, persecution and hardship. But yet somehow they were able to consider it all joy, right? And that leads me to the next crown. The crown of joy. Paul also speaking on this crown. This is to all who lead others to Christ. Remember I said if I had the opportunity to receive an earthly reward or lead someone to Christ, I would take it every single day. The opportunity to lead someone to Christ is an amazing statistic about this. For a hundred believers, if a hundred believers were in a room and you asked how many of those have ever led someone to Christ, it would be less than three or four percent out of a hundred people. Somehow we've made this association that people who are responsible to lead people to Christ are people who work for a church. And by delineation, that would be anyone who's in leadership or kind of in charge. And we removed ourselves from understanding that the opportunity to lead people to the Lord is just as much yours as it ever will be mine. Matter of fact, not only is it an opportunity, but to realize that every person you lead to the Lord then builds the body of Christ. When you start to see the significance of what it actually means to have the opportunity to share that with Christ— it's pretty motivating. Let me read a verse to you that tells you how motivating it was to Paul. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, once again, a summary of everything he had just said. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, you are my joy, my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He then goes right to Thessalonians the same way. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus? Is it not you? Indeed it is. You are our glory. You are our joy. You in Christ. I'm telling you, church, one of the most incredible opportunities you will ever have to really see your faith tested is make the effort to get someone to and through the door, right? I have a picture in my office. I showed it to you. It's the old Jesus standing at the door. It was like in every house in the 50s. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? The concept that people know Jesus, that he's on the other side of the door, they're familiar with his face, is not Jesus coming through that threshold. Just to get someone through that threshold is one of the most incredible journeys and battles you will ever be part of. And each of you have a story in your testimony about what it was like for you to get through. So let me take a minute to acknowledge something. Although the crown is for those who lead people to the Lord, it takes an entire team to get somebody there. It takes gardeners, seed throwers, and harvesters. Let me explain this. Gardeners, seed throwers, and harvesters. The gardeners. It takes people who prep the soil. 
Some of you are going to be people whose sole purpose in life, um, talking with Brad once again about this, who just kind of go in there and remove rocks and pull weeds and help till the soil that is somebody's life. Matter of fact, the initial contact that you have with someone where you invite them to church or just pray for them or offer to uh, help them with food or do something that's just kind of ethereal in the sense of like to you, it's just altruistic or beneficial to them. That initial thing is gardening. You got to get the ground ready, right? And then there's other people that God has just kind of blessed and every day they live. I would think of Merv. I can think of a couple of people in the church that just the way they live their life, they're constantly throwing seeds. Everything about their life just says they're, they're sharing Jesus. They're sharing God in everything they do and everything they say. And like the parable of the sower and the seeds, it lands on different grounds and different things happen. But once again, someone has to be tilling that soil. Someone has to be throwing those seeds. And then ultimately, there's a couple of us who really feel like God has tapped us on the shoulder and said, you know what? I want you to just harvest. The harvest is full. Like the, the scripture says, the harvest is full. But where are those to harvest? And our job is simply just to see the opportunity to walk them, someone through I want to share with you my favorite way to walk someone through. Just simply ask them, if the conversation we're having right now, which is simple and somewhat mundane, it's a Sunday pastor service, is great. But in the middle of this conversation where I'm looking at you, Jeannie, and you're looking at me, and all of a sudden that door opens. And the person that walks through that is Jesus Christ himself. And every single person that's in this room is privileged to realize that that is Jesus. And he simply says to the crowd, that was it. Those are the last words ever spoken to you. That's the last source of encouragement that you will ever receive. The next step that you will make is through this door, metaphorically speaking. And in order to get through that door, you have to come through me because I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one gets through me to the Father unless you have a reason for me to let you through. Why should I let you through to the other side? Helping someone realize that doing good works and going to church and saying a prayer and passing out food at Thanksgiving or doing it has no bearing to him whatsoever on why you pass through to the other side. Amen? You only pass through to the other side if you say, because scripture says you have to let me. Your scripture says, if I confess you in front of men, you will confess me in front of fathers and, and in front of your father. And I have confessed you as Lord and Savior of my life. I have asked you in to be my Lord and Savior. I have received forgiveness of my sins. And even though I know I'm not worthy, right? Even though I don't even feel like walking through that other door might be the most beneficial thing in my life, I get to go because you said it. Because if Jesus is anything, he's a man of his own words, amen? So harvesters, don't be afraid. If you're willing to take that risk, you then might go after this next crown, the crown of righteousness, Paul's third crown, for those who desire to live righteously. He writes about this in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. He tells them, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown, a crown of righteousness with the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearance. A couple of things about that. Those who live righteously. The idea to live righteously means that, first of all, that the Savior God is inside you. The Spirit of God is inside of you. And now you're not living on your righteousness, but his righteousness. Don't ever confuse his righteousness for your righteousness. We don't have any righteousness. There's nothing righteous about us. But Christ in us then provides the opportunity to draw near. As Rod talked about, that was a fabulous message, by the way, Rod. I've been able to use that many different times. The closer you draw near to God, the more that spirit of God reflects from you. And you have a chance to live righteously in front of others. 
He says, there's, there is a fight in case you didn't know, and you got to fight the good fight. That means there's lots of other fights going on that are not the good fight. They're just fights, right? Every time you drive down the road and someone cuts you off, there's an opportunity to fight. There's an opportunity to speak something that you feel entitled to speak. And trust me, I am a pastor who drives proficiently, and so I'm constantly challenged while I'm driving. Ask my kids. But the opportunity to speak anything other than what builds up is that you're tearing down, right? And Paul said, whatever kind of life you want to live, to live a righteous life, you have to be thinking about that. You have to be working on that. And then you have to choose to fight that. There's only one, one way that's God's way to fight, and, and that's in love and forgiveness. Finish the race. It's not just starting the race. There is no participation awards. That's not the goal. Okay? I know you've heard that, and people have taught that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, finish the race. Let your yeses be yes. Let your noes be noes. Do not take an oath by any. Whatever you start, if you can finish it, finish the race. If someone starts working for you at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, you pay them. Okay? Keep yourself clean and tidy. Keep everything strict and narrow. It's the way that God has intended it, and it helps us kind of keep the main thing the main thing. If you keep the faith, if you keep the way, if you keep the truth, if you keep the life, then from that, there's another bonus in that, inside of that, is that you have this opportunity to look up and say, Lord, I'm ready. Matter of fact, for those of you that want to talk with your small groups and you have a lot of pre-post and amillennials in there and want to discuss things, I think this would actually lend some weight for those who are thinking pre is the way to go. Because if you're excited about the Lord coming, if there's anticipation about the Lord coming, I think it lends credence to the idea of this crown of righteousness that you're eagerly awaiting his return. Just food for thought for you theologians who like additional stuff. All right, the next crown, the crown of life. When did we hear about the crown of life? We actually heard about it the first week in the James study. The first week in the James study, James 1 through 12, I actually read over it. I really wanted to talk about it then. I didn't, so it's fun to kind of come back to it now. But let's go back to James 1, 12 and talk about this crown. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. Having stood that test, the person will receive what? The crown of life that the Lord has promised to all those who love him. It's in a couple other passages. I like Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to the test, and you will suffer persecution for ten, ta- for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give to you life as your victor's crown. Okay, so this, is, this crown is not, salva- it's not salvation. It's a separate crown. But it's a crown that's been designed to reward those who endure difficult trials, even to the point of martyrdom, of being killed for their faith. Okay? And that's why when James was talking about the prophets being a great example, he was talking about it because most of the prophets died this way. Most of the prophets died a martyr's death. And I couldn't help but thinking about Paul in Paul's prayer where he asked the Lord to remove this burden that he was given. And he wanted it to be removed so that he could get on with what he thought was ministry, but the Lord had different intentions for it. Let me reread Paul's uh, plea to the Lord. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, he is strong. Church, that is how all things work together for the glory of God. That is a crown that is worth laboring for. 
Many times in my current situation with my kidneys, people have talked to me about, wouldn't it be great if God healed? Wouldn't it be great if God miraculously restored? It would be. But you know what would be greater? Is if I, my, through my broken kidneys, somebody comes to the Lord. Because we're all going to have hardships. We're all going to have difficulties. But if your hardships and difficulties don't bring you to an understanding that you have a chance to use that for the glory of God, then you've missed out on what that hardship opportunity is. Matter of fact, in some ways, I'd say if you're living a life of ease and you have no hardships, that alone may be a distraction to you from understanding the value of your life in Christ. Hardships are part of God's kingdom. Hardships are part of how we draw near to the, the kingdom of God. And for that, there's a crown set aside for us. Finally, the last crown, 1 Peter 5.4. This is an interesting crown because it's relative to my call, pastors. It's also relative to elders which this is an elder-run church, if you guys don't know what that is. Um, at the beginning of the year, in January, when we have that first meeting, we'll be talking about who the elders are. And let me just share with you a little bit why there's a separate crown set aside for this. This is a crown of glory, the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, which will never fade away. Now, 1 Titus 7, 1 through 9, talks about the qualifications that an elder must have. I thought you guys should understand that these are qualifications that we try to, uh, to follow to the T because this is what the Bible says. Not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. That's um, from Titus. The idea that being an elder or being a pastor is a worthy called is verbally stated in Timothy as well. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And Timothy reminds those that those who aspire to be elders should be considered for double honor, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching. So let me just share with you another little insider about the church, kind of speak easy about the church. Deacons and elders. You've heard those terms before, deacons and elders. Okay, deacons do. Okay, deacons are the worker bees. In this church, one of the most incredible deacons that you guys will ever have the opportunity to see um, will be Charlie. Every week you get to see Charlie doing. Charlie's in charge of the ushers and greeters and all that different stuff. Deaconesses as well, um, Diane and the women's ministry, Jeannie, that whole women's ministry. Deacons are doing. They're trying to figure out what needs to be done, and they're doing. They're moving things around. Doers. Elders eld. And simply state what an elder elds is teaching. Okay. To be an elder, you have to be able to teach. You have to be able to lead. So pastors, elders, it's a, it's a high calling in the, in the life of a believer. But you're also going to have to stand in front of other people and share God's word. You're going to have to lead small groups, the leaders of small groups, those kind of people. God's saying to those kind of people, it's double honor for you because in order to speak truth to other people, you have to first speak truth to who? Yeah, you have to hold yourself accountable. And that's not an easy thing to do. And trust me, on a message like this, on a week like this, uh, in the places that we've been in, uh, and I won't say to the total details, but I'll say the place is College Hospital. And the things that are happening in College Hospital in young kids' lives would be enough to shock most of you into shock therapy. You would shut your TV off, and you would sit down and probably find the need to tear your clothes and cry out to God. If you actually saw what we have seen, what I've been going through with this family for the last three or four days, the horrific lives that young kids are falling into right now in our town, 
Wendy Lee, I don't know if she's here today, but I did saw Wendy. She got a chance to walk by me as I was there. The fact that Wendy's in that environment every single day is one of the most incredible blessings I can tell you this church is having. Because that, that place is a dark place. It's a really, really oppressed place. And the opportunity to be a light, the opportunity to be a teacher in that place. I was actually with the, the individual, the mom, and standing in kind of the launch, launch room before you go in. And there was a bunch of other parents, and you could just feel the distraught, the despair over all the parents standing in the room. And then I just felt the need, and I said, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm a clergy. I'm a chaplain. If you have any needs, if I can help in any way, let me know. You would have think every single person in there would have jumped and said yes because their kid is in total despair. They all looked down, and they all walked out, scurried out as fast as they could. Why? Because the reason why their kids are in despair is they don't have the hope of God to offer them. Otherwise, they'd already be offering that to them. What do you offer someone who's in demonic oppression? What do you offer someone who's transitioned to the other side? They already know the other side exists. What's your counter? If you don't have the name of God, if you don't have the name above all names, gosh. So what is the point of all these crowns, Pastor Jeff? Why are you so fired up about this? You bar- I barely gave you kind of, because the crowns teach us something. Remember, it's aim. What is the mark? What is the goal of your life? What is the aspiration of your spiritual works? You need to be working towards something. And the world's going to say, hey, work towards this. Aspire towards this. Your aspiration is to be this. Get this title. Get this different things. He's saying, don't lay up where the moth and the rust and the thieves can steal. Church, lay up for yourself at a place where, okay, you might only wear the crown for a period of time. Once again, another sermon, which I'm not going to teach today. How is the millennial reign going to work? I have a feeling it's going to work relative to those crowns. I have a feeling the crowns are going to play out during that thousand-year reign. It's another fun sermon to teach, but not today. But I want to tell you one last thing about how the crowns finish. The crowns do finish at some point in time. And in the end, Revelations 4.10 gives us a small peek of how the crowns finish. Then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him forever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will, all things that have been created have their being. The crowns bring us to thanksgiving. The crowns bring us to a place of ultimate worship that we then can then return back to him who is the king of all kings and the person who all crowns are bestowed upon so that he can then usher in his new heaven and his new earth and Jerusalem comes down and he gets to restore this earth back to what it once was as the Garden of Eden. And we get to live with him in eternity. And then the thorn and the thistle have no more issues. There's no more biting or stinging bugs. And the animal kingdom's not seeking to eat us. It's going to be heaven, church. And I want to be there. And I want as many people that I come in contact to be there with me as well. Remember, I told you it's a race. So there's another thing about a race that you don't understand unless you're a runner. And that is, it's a timed event. And because it's a timed event, every day that we're alive, every breath that we take means today could be the last day of our opportunity to run for the team. And this really should have been a great message for Josh, the runner of the church, to teach about. I mean, time, how important is time? How important is it that you stay focused? You know, the only thing worse about that is if you have to pass a baton, because there's very few things in running more difficult than passing a baton when you're running at full speed and you're tired. But church, we've got to pass the baton. We have got to pass the spiritual torch. We've got to go after the things that are really important in life. Why? 
Because this week, in this town, I can tell you something, in this week, in this town, there are children who believe the lies being told to them by the devil. There are children in this town being solicited by other children to come to the other side. I have physical proof that those people were being solicited, come to the other side. Join us in hell. Join us in darkness. So if we don't focus on the work that we need to do, we allow the other side to do the work that they are so desperately trying to push over on our kids. I wanted to finish with a couple of praises that happened in this church in this last year to remind you that what I'm talking about is already happening. You guys remember in the front row, Salvador used to sit up here all the time? Salvador, Spanish boy, ponytail, came to this church accidentally. Went online, looking for a church to go to, found Lighthouse Church, went to the wrong lighthouse. <laughs> he said he was greeted so lovingly and treated so kind that he couldn't go anywhere else and that he stayed after that first service and talked with both me and Eric and talked about, I've never been part of anything like this. We didn't know what he was talking about. He was part of gangs. He'd grown up in a Spanish environment where his only life that he had ever known and the only love he had ever known was from the gangs. And he knew that he needed to get away from it. And he said, I felt more genuine love in here than I did anywhere else. And over the next few weeks of attending church, he not only gave his life to Christ, but he gave up the rap music that had held him down. He gave up smoking. He gave up all the different things. Ten years, he said, I had been fighting with my dad. And one day after church, I realized I needed to reconcile. I reconciled with my dad. He said, my single greatest goal was to be baptized in the church. Unfortunately, during this time, he also got a dog for something to do. And he lived in a place where a dog couldn't be like over 12 pounds or something like that. And his dog was like 35 pounds in week three. And the landlord came by and saw his dog and evicted him. He's now in North Hollywood, but he wanted me to tell you today, church, that everything that's good about his life has happened in the last two months in this building. And even though he's not here today and he's in North Hollywood... He wanted to tell you, if he could be, he'd be in that water with Big John today, celebrating everything that this church has meant to him. Church, I wanted to let you know that miracles have been happening in this building. Not just that Leslie and Chuck made it back to the church, but Leslie and Chuck have made it back to the church with so many amazing stories and accounts of what God is doing, from student ministries to grief ministries. But in case you didn't know, when Chuck first came, he had a cast on his arm after dealing with some issues for five months in his wrist. He informs me in a simple little paragraph or two that he went to the doctor and they saw a crack in his arm and a misplaced bone. He then went back a period of time later, a short period of time later, and the doc said, I can't explain it, but you're healed. Church, this scene has already seen miraculous healings in this building. Our, our good friend, Brother Bill, was someone who experienced hardship, and we had the opportunity to pray for him, and we saw miraculous healing. You say, Pastor Jeff, I thought you didn't believe in miraculous healing. No, no, I never said that. God has been healing from day one, church, and he'll be healing in day 2052 when the final breath is taken. I just simply said, I don't know if there's any individuals that have the healing gift, but God can still heal whenever he wants, however he wants to. So we should be praying for it, and we should believe, because it had already happened. My friend Lindsay also put a praise report in there to let you guys know that Tony Pekka from the church has been going over to the memory care and I've been speaking to those people who have mentally challenged brains. Their brains and their minds are kind of struggling, but yet somehow, some way, the church found the opportunity to send. I remember they called, Newport Memory Care called and said, do you have anybody? We sent Tony Pekka there, and he faithfully goes every Sunday after church. I think he attends three different services now on Sunday, but 
Leslie wanted us to know that not only did it make a difference in her dad's life, but it's making a difference in other people's lives too. The church is blessing our community by serving. Michelle wanted to thank God for her new son-in-law, Sunjin. Even though her daughter left and was in another country, God has now allowed a blessed union to happen that has blessed her family. Deliverance from many different things. God has delivered Mary from a, di a really difficult situation. And, and she said, I found beauty from the ashes. I said, funny, that's one of the biggest messages that we have on YouTube from Pastor Eric and me like two years ago. The beauty from the ashes message. I think it literally has like a thousand views or something like that. I mean, a thousand views. How does a church of 150 people have a thousand views? But that's how many times that message has gone out there to the electronic world and it continues to go. Betty Hart, Betty wrote a beautiful thing about thanking Jesus for taking her mom home and for all the different things that her mom has taught her. She said, in second grade, I, I decided uh, through, by the, from second grade on, even though I've been rebellious and made bad choices, that same spirit of God has been guiding me every single day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mom. Tiana found an opportunity to thank God as we found, uh, she found a home for her mom, and I've been visiting with her mom over in the home, and she's doing well. And then my buddy Bill, who may get a chance to speak, I'm not going to give too much on that, uh, open heart surgery provides everyone an opportunity to be more thankful. I've never been more thankful in my 64 years of life. Praise God, Bill. Michelle, uh, Michelle Mangle last year, I don't know if you guys knew this, her son James was diagnosed with diabetes. Over the time, life changed drastically. And through it all, they're answered prayers and tears and how are we ever going to deal with this? Not only has God walked her through it all, but James is now in Little Lighthouse Preschool. And Marge has taken him in. The teachers have shown him love. James has never been so happy. We were once so scared. And now all we can say is how beautiful this actually is. My friend Romy has shared too about hardships that she's been through. And she was going through a little bit of a hiccup in life. And she needed some help with something that past, Pastor Bill had resources to. She called Bill and said, hey, Bill, I need help with something. I don't know if you can help me with this. Bill said, not only do we have help for you, but we'll get it to you today. Romy reports that not only did she not feel anything other than compassion and love, but she felt blessed to be part of a church that provides so rapidly. Bill, thank you for taking care of that need for Romy. Church, I wanted to tell you about something as simple as a rainy day in the church and the opportunity for God to show mercy. Last week when it rained super diligently for about two hours in the morning, the sanctuary across the other side, the original building, those front-facing windows, all that caulking around the windows all kind of dried out. I mean, it's 1947, 1948, the building. And so the preschool was in there. Uh, Miss Kathy was up in the building. Her Kathy was in there interviewing families that are trying to go to the preschool next year. And all of a sudden they noticed as the wind blew towards the building, those front windows, the seals in those front windows, not only not holding water, but the water began to pour in. In the, middle of the, in the middle of the interview, she turns over and there's now pools inside of the Faith Cafe from waters kind of bleeding into the building. And she's like, I'm so sorry about that. I don't know what we're going to do. The two individuals then stand up. Their t-shirts matching says window crafters on them and says, <laughs> I think we can help. Not only uh, hopefully are their kids going to the school next year, but they've offered to not only fix the front windows of the building, but according to Marge, they've offered to fix many different windows throughout the church. God has been on the move. God will be on the move. And God is looking for people to prioritize him. So I asked the office staff if they had one final story that I could encourage you with. And after this, it's going to get even better. We're gonna, John's going to come up and we're going to say one final story. Let me read this because Jeannie wrote this so beautifully. I should just read this. 
Last year around this time, we were going to take our family to dinner at a very pricey restaurant, so we set a budget. My dad had surprised us all by picking up the tab at the end of the meal. The next day at church, Bill Nelson was speaking. He's talking about a financial need and a contribution that would help fund Thanksgiving meals, boxes, and turkeys. So I looked at my husband and I discussed, hey, you want to use that dinner budget that we had last night to contribute to the Fresh Beginnings ministry? He said he did. So we did. The next day I received an email letting me know that a rather large purchase that we had been hoping to make was, was reduced by the exact same amount of money that we had just given to the dinner budget for the donation. It had already come back full circle in 24 hours. Now, we didn't give with the expectation of getting anything in return, but we just wanted to share what God had already blessed us with. I hope that encourages everyone else. Church, you can outgive God. You can show up every Sunday and have expectations, but if you just showed up every uh, Sunday with one expectation, Lord, I need you, right? That's the song, Lord, I need you. What do you have for me today? If you need to send somebody, send me. I can tell you that not only will working for these five crowns be a blessing. Come on up, Bill. Not only will working for these five crowns be a blessing, but it'll be a source of encouragement for you for years to come. Now, I'm going to get a chance to baptize Big John. And so at this time, I'm going to have Bill hold the mic, and John is going to come up here, and we are going to share Big John's testimony with you, and then we're heading for the tank. Big John, uh, I know that something happened in this church about, what, three years ago, you say? Three or four years ago? Why don't you well, share with him what happened? Are you on? Hello. There you go. Yeah, yeah just hold so, it near, Jim. Uh, I came, we'll start with the how. Yeah, how do you? Before how, the five W's will okay, be the five how. Five W's, like the message. I, I got here about uh, four and a half years ago. Maybe Jeff and I, Jeff sitting right behind Romy there. Um, we, we were bopping around town looking for different um, churches, checking them out. You know, we we rocked out at Rock Harbor. We did. Uh, you lo- did got the tour. lost at St. Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we came here, and uh, just like um, Salvador's experience. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, then I, w- I was the difficult one. I was kind of, you know, what I was coming from a w- the world, yeah. basically. So, um, but but I was interested, uh, you know, I yes. had an interest. And uh, so uh, three years ago on uh, around this time d- during uh, Thanksgiving, uh, I was with Romy at uh, her family's house in Glendora. And um, so there this is the who uh this is her her son evan uh who's a youth minister up Mm -hmm. north he um i I gave my declaration to the lord jesus christ then amen and um and sat with him at the table so he's the who um the 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 what is the declaration and uh the the joy afterwards romeo remembers (laughs) on the ride home we're we're packed in a truck and it was like you know, when it's just maxed out, it, it was Team Sardine and that thing. And, and it was like, and I, I kept talking about how uh, how good I felt. Amen. You know, it was like this thing. It was, it's just like when I got off the phone with you Monday. Yeah. And I had, I, had, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'll do, I'll, I want to get baptized. Yeah. And, and I, um, I, I could feel it that, I felt a, di- a change just after doing that. It was definitely... I told people, I don't know if I told you guys, seven people were scheduled to be baptized. Seven. Every time this happens, I told John, the spiritual warfare goes crazy. And this week was one of the most exponential spiritual warfares I've been involved at the church. 
And so I was hoping, I was just praying with John, praying with John, and he finally just said, I was at men's retreat this week, last week, and he said, I wrote down on a, a wood stick fear, the thing I threw in the fire. It's like, yeah. I have nothing to be afraid of anymore. That's what, that's, and yeah. I was like, tell, and then I, I text the whole staff. I was just like, it was like jovial. I was like, thank God, like somebody's breaking <laughs> Every, through this week yeah. to share their testimony. So a, a lot it, of people wrote down fear. Fear. Well, now that you've made this profession of faith to everybody, I just want to, we're going to go be baptized and we have the opportunity yeah. to thank everyone. Is there anything else about you, your testimony? Oh, I wanted to uh, thank the Winnikies. Um, well, By Byron and Diane, uh, they were my first life group here. And um, and it really taught me a lot. And it, um, I don't know, just, just the chance to, sure. to learn and lead Absolutely. Bible studies and, and uh, lead a life group, yeah. Amen. Well, that's Thank another you. reason why Thank if you're you. not involved in a small group, there's another wonderful affirmation. Things can Absolutely. happen in a small group that don't happen in a church. Well, that's yeah. all I have to say. We're going to turn the mic over to Bill. Bill has a couple of people that he's going to talk to about some praises, and we will catch up with you guys in a few minutes in that tank. Brother. <laughs> amen. Amen. I just, I just want to ask one small question. How many of us, as Jeff was going through all the, the lives and, and the crowns and everything, we're all thinking to ourselves, hey, I think I got I have this one or that one, and we're all picking them out, right? Fess up. I know you were because everybody was thinking the same thing. Shandi, can I ask you? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask, Sandra, we're going to have, I'm going to ask you just a question. You can stand up. It's okay. You okay? Yeah. Oh, good. I wanted to ask Sandra, I just want to say, is there something real special that you were thankful for this year? Oh, my, my foot. There you go. <laughs> I've been going through five years of maybe six years of uh, horrible process with my foot, and God's blessed me to have it healed by now. Thank you. There you go. That was a great one. <laughs> this is my brother, Bill. has a great name, doesn't he? So I want you to talk just, you only got a couple minutes, brother, okay? Okay, it's going to be a minute. That's yeah. it. Uh, I had uh, open heart surgery in uh, July. Um, I had a bad valve. It was uh, uh, hereditary, and uh, that bad valve caused the aorta to also balloon. Uh, John Ritter didn't have the same experience that I did, um, but by the grace of God, I was able to get in. I originally didn't go in because of COVID, and I wanted to wait because I wanted my wife to be able to come in and be with me, but trust me, after open heart surgery, the last thing you want to do is see your wife. Um, actually, you don't want to see anybody. So at any rate, um, on that note, I'm just, I, I'm the one that said I've never been more thankful in my 64 years than I am right now standing in front of you, because I'm alive. Amen. See, we've, we've, we've got a church where I know there's hundreds of more stories out here, and I could pick, I know several of them, and I could walk up to you and surprise you right now, but I'm not going to do that, so it's okay. But I do have one more that I want to share before they get up into there. Over the last three or four months, as all of you know, Jeff talked about Fresh Beginnings Ministries. You know, this is not Bill. Um, Every one of you who've spent hours and hours putting food in boxes, would you stand up, please? Come on. I've, I'll, I'll call you out if you don't stand, because I know who you are. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Because I'll tell you, here's what's going on tomorrow morning. What you all don't realize is that after you finish today, 
there's going to, I'm, I've got some guys with muscles, Big John, a couple other guys, and a couple of the younger gentlemen, and I've bribed them by buying them lunch right after church, because with the young men, that's how you get them to do things. And then, <laughs> and then we're going to go back to my warehouse, because yesterday a group of young people got together and finished the 1,000th food box for the families in need. So then what we're going to do after that point is we're going to be coming in and they're going to fill this whole front with food boxes. We figured that, you know, we didn't want to have them while you were here this morning. So it's going to be an amazing thing to watch tomorrow, right, in this parking lot starting at 9 a.m. Trucks from all of the 19 organizations will start tomorrow and finish on Tuesday. And they will be driving up and we have a, a bunch of volunteers. And we can, by the way, we can use all the volunteers in the next two days we can get. Just a little plug there. But we're going to be distributing those 1,000 food boxes and 1,000 turkeys to all the families. Just wanted you to notice. And I wanted to say what a blessing, how grateful I am for all of you. And I'm going to turn it over to up there. Oh, my. Well, this 500-gallon baptismal has room for many of you. So we probably could have got all seven in here at once. I should tell you, there's different, different layers uh, to coldness of this water, Byron. Uh, on behalf of John and myself, um, we're quite awake at this moment. And thank you for all that. Uh, for I am in the water, too, church. I am in the water. Uh, John just noticed that there's no seat, so when they decided to make the sanctuary in 1956, there's no seat, so be prepared. Brad, if something happens to your drums in the form of a tidal wave, I am sorry in advance. Because John is six foot four, 300 pounds, and I am 230, so this might be the single greatest mass of uh, baptism ever happening. But the, be the beautiful thing about baptism is, John knows, though, is that we get to share it with the church. Church, you get to be blessed by one brave person standing in front of you today and reminding that all of you have a testimony. All of you have a story. If you have not risen up to celebrate that testimony with your church, may the example that my brother John is sharing with you today be motivation for you to get in the water. The Bible says, why tarriest thou arise and be baptized? There's no greater blessing than we can share this with the church. So John, on behalf of the testimony that you gave and the declaration that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it is going to be my privilege, brother, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in death, raised to a new life in Him. Bill, will you take this beautiful church home? Church, yes, we'll see I you will. soon. Uh, praise team, if you would come back up. And uh, we just want to say thank you to all of you for being here today. It's been a great day to be thankful. We hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We hope that you don't eat too much. Yeah, good luck with that. And we're just grateful that you all have chosen to spend this time with us here today. It has been a great time together. And I'm going to ask this morning that as we get ready to close, if you would, please stand. And I would ask that you would, at this point, let's reach across the aisles. And if you're comfortable with it, I'm going to ask you to grab the hand of the person next to you. And as you grab that hand, I'm going to ask you to just say, hey, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you all have a great one. And yes, I know I'm out of camera. Sorry, guys. And so I'm just going to say God bless you all. We're going to finish with a final song. And as we finish this song to say thank you, Lord.
we want you to be able to just understand and know how good God is in this day. Did you want to say something? Were you trying to get my attention, Glenn? Okay. All righty. God bless you all. Let's get started. Thanksgiving. See you next week.